0: This week has been a particularly busy one, but I know that many of us who live here, you know, people come to town and they look at this quiet place and they say, I'd love to be in a nice, quiet, low-key community like this one until they move here and they realize we live in a cotton candy machine. spinning us in every direction. But this week, as I was thinking about the sermon last Sabbath that highlighted the conflagrations that are taking place in the West, the uncontrollable fires that are gripping our world, the question came to my mind, what chance do we have of surviving fires like that? Then in my devotional time, it came to me that when we are in Christ, we are fireproof. So today I want to spend a little time talking about something that has nothing to do with prophecy. It's not anything eschatological, but it is a reiteration of what it means to be in Christ, the benefits of being in Christ What he has promised to do for us. And we're going to highlight the life of a man, a priest named Zechariah. We're going to also walk through his story in the book, Prophets and Kings. I don't normally fill my sermon or lace it with a lot of references. But this one, we're going to break down the story in the book, Prophets and Kings, in pieces. Because it's so beautiful. It highlights how God sees his servant, Zechariah, and assures him that regardless of what has been in his life, when God stands on your side, we become fireproof. So now I invite you to bow with me as we consider God's word and ask for the Lord to lead us this morning. A gracious, loving Father in heaven, we know our world is experiencing to some unusual level the tenacity and the ability to destroy through fires and conflagrations that are out of control. We have seen homes that have been built and standing for decades filled with possessions of varying degrees of value, consumed in moments. We have seen entire communities wiped out. In the last three or four years, seems to have been an increasing fire season, one greater than the other. But Lord, there's a fire down at the end of this road, a fire that will consume sin and everything associated with it. And we pray today, Lord, that we can find that as you delivered Zachariah, you can deliver us. And do for him and do for us the same thing. So now cause our minds to be focused and our ears to listen. That we may know what to do that we too may experience a life in Christ that is fireproof. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to begin by reading Zachariah chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. It's a wonderful setting. It takes us into the story, but it takes us out of the story. Then, which is a continuation of what was happening in Zechariah, chapter 2, then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. This is one of the very few times you see Satan mentioned as standing at the right hand. Jesus is always standing at the right hand. The throne of God is at the right hand of the majesty. So, what is being said is Satan is standing where he shouldn't be because he's trying to eclipse the defendant from his advocate. He's trying to stand between the sinner and the one who is the savior of all sinners he's standing where he doesn't deserve to be standing so while the sinner is looking in the direction of his advocate he sees satan satan standing there where he shouldn't and all he can hear is his accusations satan repeating all the reasons why joshua should not be saved but i love the way that it ends Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. In verse 2, and the Lord said to Satan, when I read that, I said, praise God, the Lord spoke to Satan on my behalf, on your behalf. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord has chosen Jerusalem. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. And here's the reason why. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Come on, somebody ought to say amen. We could not sit here this morning with the blessed assurance we have if we have not been a brand plucked from the fire. I would have have expected something a lot more than that. Well, yeah, okay, yeah, he saved my house. No, he saved our soul. He saved our lives. He has redeemed us. Can the church say amen? If this text were not there, Satan would have all access to us at the end of this journey called earth. He would be looking forward to one of us after the other on the the conveyor belt of destruction, falling as it were into the lake of fire, standing there rejoicing that no matter how we lived, he has final dibs. But I want to say today, because of the blood of Jesus, the only one that has final dibs on us is Jesus Christ. The only one that can take us from firewood to being fire retardant is Jesus Christ. The only one that can guarantee that at the end of this journey, we have the right to the tree of life is Jesus Christ. And through this story, the Lord, I love this fact, when he says, the Lord rebuke you. I've always wondered about that. When people say, I rebuke the devil, how could you rebuke somebody you can't even see? We've got to call on the Lord Jesus Christ to do battle for us. We've got to call on the only one that never lost a battle against Satan to do battle against him in our behalf. That's why it's so beautiful. This is an exclamation. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. And brothers and sisters, if you look back at where you were, if you look back at your track record, if you look back at the life you lived, if you look at the things you've done and the places you've been and the sins that so easily beset you, If you look at the things that God has delivered you from, you can honestly say with joy in your heart, thank you, God, for rebuking Satan in my behalf. And so today, this message is for you if you've ever been discouraged about the flaws in your character. If you've ever felt like giving up or feeling like the devil has constantly reminded you of your failures. This message is for you if trials are too great for you to bear, if temptations appear to be greater than your ability to resist. This message is for you if you have felt that your best is just not good enough and you think that you are solely responsible for gaining the victory over your sin. Before you see, the the Christian life is a journey of apparent contradictions. Now, there are some things about the Christian life that doesn't make sense to us. There are some things that are not very clear. There are times that when I read the Bible, it's amazing to me that blind men saw Jesus better than men whose eyes were never defective. There's something about the gospel that seems to be contradictory. How can a man who was born blind see Jesus better than the Pharisees who never had eye problems? There's apparent contradictions in Scripture. So there are times that God has to close our eyes for us to be able to see. There are times that He has to plug our ears from the things of the world that we may hear the things of the Spirit. Sometimes He has to lead us what it means to bow down that we may understand what it means to stand on our feet in Christ, the apparent contradictions. And sometimes it is not until we experience the worst defeat that we come to appreciate the greatest victory, the apparent contradictions in Christianity. See, this life of Christianity is a journey. It's not a run. It's not a flight. It's a walk. The Bible talks about walking, Jesus walking with his disciples. Jesus walking from one city to the other. And then the Bible says, those who are in Christ ought themselves also to walk just as Jesus walked. I said to my my wife's nephew a number of years ago, still pray for him, he's in the grips of the enemy. But I talked to this young man when he was in his late 20s and I said, He lives in Florida, and I said, can you walk to California? He said, no. I said, can you walk to California? He said, no, Uncle John, that's too far. I said, but can you walk to California? He said, what are you saying? I said, can you walk to California? Can you walk to California? He said, I guess, but it's going to take a long time. I said, then start walking. And the reason I said that, we walk by faith and not by faith, the reason I said that to him is because he lives a life of stumblings and bumblings and I can't do it, it's too hard, I don't know how. I said, the way to walk to California from Florida is put one foot in front of the other and the sooner you get started, the quicker you'll get there. And so when I call him nowadays and say, can you walk to California? Yes, Uncle John. So when are you going to start? Because he's still stuck in the quagmire of the sin that so easily besets him. And a lot of our young people today, they don't understand the joy of Christianity. You sometimes see them. You talk about Christ, their lives seem to be put on hold because they've been so inoculated by the joys of the world. Or maybe, let me, let me rephrase that. Not by the joys, but by the pleasures of the world. That they've missed the joy that they can find only in Christ. And I know I've been there. The world has so designed itself to be attractive and appealing, it it reaches out to our senses and says to us, you need me in your life. And when young people get embraced by the world, it's so hard to hear a phrase and think that there's anything real behind it, that there are joys at the right hand of God forevermore. And they hear that and they think to themselves, what joys could there be at the right hand of God? Let me just give you a glimpse. Man may be able to make the Internet, but God can make unnumbered universes. If he can do that, what can a guy that just designed an app have to boast about the man who designs universes? God has not yet revealed all those things he has in store for us. But his desire is to pull us from where we are to where he wants us to be. And the only way we will know that is as I said to this young man, put one foot in front of the other and pretty soon the things that are not even within your sight will eventually become vividly clear because you've decided to take a walk of faith. And that walk of faith in the Christian life will one day become a walk of sight as the young man that the Lord spat on the ground and put, put clay in his eyes and said, go walk. And as the Bible says, and as he walked, as he walked, his sight returned. You can't stand around waiting for your sight to be clear. You can't stand around waiting to see the things of Christ until young and old alike decide to walk. Decide to walk in a direction that apparently seems to be obscure and doesn't make any sense. And these are those that live in the hypothetical world of misguided intellect. What if, what if, what if? Let's not spend time in the what ifs. Let's spend time in the promises of God and we will see that all the what ifs of life make no difference when we step into the promises and the realities of Christ. The journey of the Christian is... One that is sometimes ironic because it's not designed for the faint of heart. I had, a, I had a young man write me an email, and I don't know why some people waste their time on questions like, What if Jesus is not divine? And my response to him says, Well, that would be catastrophic, young man, but he is. He is divine. Well, what if Jesus didn't rise? I said, that would be tragic, but he did. He is divine, and he did rise again. And there's a third part to that, and he's coming back again. What world leader or dignitary or historical figure do you know that can have the capacity to split B.C. into A.D. by just coming into the world? Who do you know that can do that? Atheists and agnostics may deny the existence of Jesus. Evolutionists and astrophysicists may say that there is no evidence of God. But when they write a check on Monday morning, they're going to put 2021 on that check. Uh, You get that on Tuesday. In the year of our Lord, the undeniable fact that hypotheticals and misguided intellect lead you nowhere until you accept the fact that, and I never say Jesus was, I always say Jesus is. Why? Because he is our ever-present help in time of need. Today's message is not how bad we are or how bad we have been, but how good Jesus can make us and how good Jesus always is. And we were having a discussion, and I know what people mean when they say, well, there are a lot of good people in the community. And I say, no, they ain't. They may be camouflaging their nature. But I guarantee you, with Christ not in a person's life, it's just a matter of time or circumstance before their character is really revealed. And Joshua knows that, so today's message It's not how bad we have been or how bad we are, but how good Jesus can make us. It's not about the bigness or the magnitude of our sin, but the greatness of our Savior. It is not about our failure rate, but it's about the success rate of Jesus. And the gospel is the only story. The gospel is the only story that will survive the annihilation of the skeptics. Meaning, let me break that down because the word annihilation may be too huge. That means when all the skeptics have piled up all the evidence that they can present that they think will bring us to the conclusion that God does not exist, all of a sudden that is when Jesus is going to show up and prove that the evidences of man's skepticism does not mount up into any successful argument against the existence of jesus i said to a guy that was atheist i met him up there in washington state a few years ago when we had asi i thought he was a christian because he was at one of our booths at asi i met him when he did an interview here at 3abn and i thought wow what a wonderful interview three young people out on the mission field in india how beautiful and he, he presented these wonderful stories of lives being transformed by the work they, they were doing and i thought what a wonderful man!" And I met him up at ASI only for him to tell me, well, you know, actually. I said, well, what church do you attend? Actually, I, I don't go to church. Well, you were on the program, weren't you? Yeah, but I'm atheist. So you were on the program. So well, the other two people? Oh, yeah, they're, they're Adventists. I met those two young people in the, when I was on a journey in India. I was, I was excited about the work I saw them doing. So I decided to help them in a humanitarian way. But you said you're atheist. Yes, but I admire the work that they're doing. So I decided to give them a helping hand. He did so well that they included him in the program they did on 3ABN. And I had no idea he was an atheist. So that stirred my curiosity. So I sat down because I had been studying some of the very successful ways of talking to people that are agnostics. And agnostic simply means somebody that doesn't have a conclusion one way or the other. They haven't really delved into trying to prove or deny the existence of God. For this young man who was an atheist, I made it my point to have lunch with him or sit down and talk with him in our break times at ASI. By the time we left ASI, he said to me, as we were going down the escalator, he said, for the first time in my adult life, I think that there could be a God. Because I asked him some basic questions, and I'm not going to take the time to go through that today. But I asked myself the question, how can men look at this wonderfully detailed creation that goes from season to season? The plants come and go, the grass withers and grows the next season. Creation works in such an amazing cycle, and they can come up with the idea that this was all coincidental, this was an accident. How can such order come out of such chaos? And he came to the conclusion that there has to be some evidence that God exists. And I believe if you take the time to continue searching somewhere along the way, God will reveal himself to those whose hearts are honest and open. That's why I'm so excited about this this September 11th event. I don't want to date this message, but I want to just say that it is this drive, it is this push to, to, to bring to other people the knowledge of this message that no matter how bad your life has been, no matter where you have been, no matter what you've done, that there is a Savior that wants to do for you what he has done for me. That wants to take your life and transform it and deliver that life. That's why I say again, the gospel is the only story that will survive the annihilation of skeptics to remind sinners that they can be transformed from sinners to saints. Can the saints say amen? Saints under construction. My good young man, Jason Bradley, he has, he's adopted that phrase. He said, Uncle Lomi, he always calls me Uncle Lomi. He said, ever since you said that, I always say we are saints under construction. Any saints under construction here today? Saints under construction. So before I before we dissect the story in the book of Zechariah about Joshua allow me to destroy a gospel killing cliche that we have adopted and the description of it is an insult to the mission of Jesus. You know some people that think no matter how no matter what has happened your life could never change. God can't do anything for you. Jesus Christ is not powerful enough to deliver you, but I point you to a man who knows by personal experience the transforming power of Christ. Romans 5 and verse 19, listen to the testimony of the Apostle Paul. He says, for as by one man's, what's the next word? Disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's what? Obedience, many will be made what? Righteous. There are the two sides, sinners and righteous. By Adam's disobedience, all he could produce were sinners. But by the obedience of Christ, all he could produce is saints. You see, the gospel doesn't just bring forgiveness. The gospel changes our standing before God. That's why you find in the life of Paul, he used to be Saul. You find in the life of Jacob, his name was changed to Israel. The Lord gives us anonymity in the family of God. He doesn't want us to be remembered how we were. He wants us to be remembered how we are in him. That's why when we get to heaven, the Bible says, and we will have a new name. We'll have what, friends? A new name. People that had long criminal records, they won't even be known in heaven because their records will be expunged and they'll have a new name in Christ. Praise God for prison ministry. If you didn't believe that it could work, you wouldn't go to prison every week. If we didn't, for how many? 13 today were in the prison ministry. Why do you go to prison ministry? Because we believe that they may be behind walls, but walls are not a barrier to Christ. When we go to the prisons during the week to minister to the ladies in the jails, we go there because we believe that you may be incarcerated behind metal, but there is no metal bar that can keep the Holy Spirit out. Some of the most dastardly criminals, some of the people that were the lower dregs of society, by the grace of God, they were sinners, but they were made obedient by the blood of Christ. But the gospel is not the only thing that... The gospel not only brings forgiveness, but it changes our standing before God. Look at the testimony of David the psalmist. And he ought to know. I mean, he's been in a place. He ought to know. And he says this based on experience. Psalm 50 and verse 5. Let's read this together. It's on the screen. Look what David says. Are you ready? Here we go. Gather my saints together to me. Those who have made a what? covenant with me by sacrifice notice what david calls those who come to god what does he call them saints paul the apostle in the new testament says greet the saints and he mentions the city brethren this morning i want you to know that while people are saying well you're not all that say oh yes i am by the grace of god i'm a saint i'm a saint under construction delivered by the blood of the lamb this is the gospel that the christian must communicate to the community you see, when we come, when Jesus comes into our lives, we are no longer sinners but saints. We are forgiven and cleansed from our sins. You know that 1 John 1, 9. We are received and become children of God, John 1, verse 12. As many as receive him, to them he gave the right to become sons and daughters of God. Why is that important to me? An abandoned child can claim to be a son of the almighty God. We are children of the most high God and we are to equip the world with this message that this transformation is available in the person of Christ. Let me put this into context. When I talk about prophecy, people say, is that really going to happen? When I speak about America and prophecy or uh, the coming crises that our world is facing now, when I talk about Revelation 17, the dragon, the beast, the false prophets in Revelation chapter 16, when we talk about the mark of the beast, the seal of God, the fall of Babylon, it, it, it somehow brings us to a place where we say, wow, that's fascinating. But you know what's more fascinating than all of that? You know what's more fascinating than all of that? Is that Jesus can redeem every one of us. What's more fascinating than understanding Revelation in great detail is to know that there's a text in Revelation that I love so much. Revelation 14 12. Revelation 14 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Why do we need patience? Because we're waiting for Jesus to come. That's why when we look at the Bible, the Apostle Paul brings out the beauty of the gospel. Look at another one in Ephesians 2 and verse 19. Changes our standing before God. Changes our standing. Who we were, we no longer are when we come to Christ. Ephesians 2 and verse 19, the Bible says, Now. What's that word, honey? Now. now. What's that word, friends? Now. now. What is now? Now. Now, therefore... You are no longer strangers and foreigners. <laughs> that means there's a mansion being built with your name on it. That means there's a robe being sewn with your name on it. That means there's a crown being designed with your name on it. That means there's a place mat at the table of grace waiting for you to come and eat the welcome table in the kingdom of God. That means somewhere along the way, somebody ought to say amen. yes you got a mansion you got a gown you got a crown you got a dinner and you have waiting for you one day face to face we'll get a chance to thank our savior for all that he has prepared for us now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners but what are we look at this but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God that's who we are today. So when the news sounds horrible on Monday and the weather is going out of whack on Tuesday and another storm is coming on Wednesday isn't it isn't it the grace of God that has kept this community from horrible storms? We've had the thunder, we've had the rain, we've had the lightning but when we look around us, whenever I look at the news and they say, in the Midwest, terrible tornadoes, I say, praise God, he's keeping them away from Thompsonville. Praise God, he's keeping them away from West Frankfurt and all the surrounding communities here. That's not coincidence, because I believe that God has set a wall around this community. You know, we've been here for a number of years. There are times when Pastor Mark Finley was preaching in 2004 and in the middle of camp meeting, we got an announcement that there was a there was a tornado coming from the direction coming towards West Frankfort, heading towards Thompsonville. And we saw on the Doppler radar where it split and went around Thompsonville. When 120 mile an hour straight line winds tore up Southern Illinois, flattening trees and trailers of every description. Not a single not a single property on Three Abians land was touched. I remember talking to Jorge, they lived over there by the, by the, by the old 3ABN uh, uplink, and they were living in a small house then, and I remember asking him, and he said, I put my hand out the window and I didn't feel any wind at all, remember that? During that 120 mile an hour wind, why, was it because his trailer was in the proper location? No, because this place, by God's grace, is covered by a fence, saying to the devil, keep out. God's got a work for us to do. And I praise him every day we see that. We are citizens and members of the household. And the Apostle Paul says also, God is... Look, he continues to reiterate this. It's so beautiful. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33. Look what he says. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the what? Saints. 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 So today, when you leave church... Look less at the flaws in your character and just stay on the assembly line of God's grace because he who has begun a good work in us will complete it. He's going to complete it. He's going to complete it. Every now and then I feel the sawing and the hammering and the gluing. He's going to complete it. You ever feel that? You feel the flames when he's bending a certain side of us and polishing the other side of us? You feel, the, you feel the wood chips of sin being chiseled off? He's going to complete it. That's why this story is so powerful for me. and I'm going to dive into it for the next 30 minutes. You see, after Israel returned from Babylonian captivity, and they were in the process of getting their lives back on track, they were also in the process of rebuilding the temple. And Joshua, the high priest, during the restoration, he was concerned about the saints getting their lives together. It's not that easy when you come out of sin to come out of sin and be a saint the next day. It's a learning process. Isaiah 1.18 says, cease to do evil and learn to do good. You might, you might smell the last cigarette the day before and may still smell like smoke the day after, but God is so faithful that the work he begins in you will get you so far away from what you used to do that the smell of smoke will finally sicken you. Amen. Only God can do that. My sister told me that after smoking for a number of years, and they gave her a choice between a kidney and continuing to smoke. They said, we're not going to give you this kidney if you keep on smoking, She quit immediately. And she says, now the smell of smoke sickens her. But we're not talking about quitting for a kidney. We're talking about turning our lives over to Christ. So after returning from Babylonian captivity, they began to reflect on their captivity. They began to understand when they were at their highest point and when they were at their lowest point. And after they witnessed the power to destroy and then the power of God to save, They were now at a place where they were looking back at their captivity in Babylon and saying, but for the grace of God, that province would have consumed us had God not been with us there. It was during the rebuilding of the temple that the Israelites reminisced about their former condition. You ever stop sometimes and think about where you used to be? Anybody? You ever stop and think about where you used to be? I've done that. Sometimes... You know, if you've been married 38 years, you have stuff in your house that's still from where you used to be. Every now and then you find some stuff that is from where you used to be. And you hold it up and, and you make the wrong statement. Those were the good old days. And you realize, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Those were not the good old days. These are the good days. But somehow those memories linger on they began comparing where they were and, and and to appreciate god to really appreciate god we've got to sometimes pause and think of where we were as compared to where we are today because of christ the basic power of the gospel the transforming gospel they compared what they have to what they used to have and they looked at the temple coming back rather than the temple destroyed and they realize, okay, we, we, we appreciate where we are now. God allowed us the trials of disobedience. He allowed us to experience the trials of disobedience so that we could appreciate the blessings of obedience. Amen. And there they were building. There they were building. And there they were building. And then God, in the story of Zechariah, in the book of Zechariah, the servant of the Lord begins to paint such a beautiful picture about what Joshua and the Israelites were experiencing. Look at this in Prophets and Kings, page 587. I want to walk you through this, and I told you I'm going to bring up certain excerpts throughout the sermon because I think it's so beautiful the way that the Lord allowed us be, to be expanded in Prophets and Kings. We are told, Zachariah's vision of Joshua and the angel applies with particular force To the experience of God's people when? In the closing scenes of the great day of atonement. That's our time. The remnant church will then be brought into great trial and distress. Those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus will feel the ire of the dragon and his host. But this is the part that particularly grabbed my attention. If he could blot them from the earth, his triumph would be complete. Praise God, we already know how the story ends. But it doesn't say that he's not trying with every bit of energy and every tenacity that that flows forth from his anger on those who are by God's grace standing in harmony with the commandments of God it doesn't say that he won't bring trial and difficulty and tribulation and heartache it doesn't say that he's going to accuse us of where we used to be and try to remind us of what we used to be because in these last days he does that that's why we've got to talk less of self and more of Christ. Don't, when people say, how are you doing? they say, well, you know. Say, it was difficult, but don't forget, don't stop there. This week was difficult, but Jesus brought me through. Yeah, yeah it was difficult. I had a talk with Dee Hildebrand. She said, Pastor, I know this has been a tough week for you. I said, well, Dee, this is how I am. I could pause and boo-hoo about all I have to do, or I could, for 15 minutes, I could just boo-hoo and complain or I could take those same 15 minutes and do what I need to do so I could look back and say, Thank you, God, you've given me the strength to accomplish the work you've put before me to do. But some people lament on what they need to do rather than saying, Lord, give me the strength. And when you have a connection with Christ, something you discover that you won't discover at any other time is this. The joy of the Lord is my strength the work of God should never be anything that causes you to feel that you have to lament but it only happens when there's a transition from where you were to where you are in Christ something has to be removed in order for the great appreciation of who we are in Christ to be clear that's why the apostle Paul says I can't even boast about anything I'm doing because it's all about Christ Look what he says in Galatians 6 and verse 14. He says these words, look at them together. But God forbid, say that with me, what are those words? But God forbid that I should boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? By whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. You see, Joshua, this picture that Paul the Apostle paints, was not first given to Paul. Joshua experienced this. Jacob experienced this. David experienced this, the redeeming grace of the power of Christ. And why is that so vitally important? Here is the key. If people don't see in you the power of Christ working to transform you, then you are the worst advertisement to offer something to them that's not even working for you. If if I'm blowing my cool, speaking out of term, terrified about what's happening in the world, terrified about the events taking place in the world, and they say, but he's a Christian, look at how afraid he is. Look at how terrified she is. If they can't find in us this calm assurance, it doesn't even make sense for us to be offering to somebody what's not even giving us the peace in the midst of the storm. That's why the Lord says, In this world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. cheer, for I've overcome the world. The world today, and, and when, and, and I'm heading someplace with this, but when people come in touch with you, come in contact with you that may not believe what you believe, it is not your responsibility to give them a Bible study on the 28 fundamentals. It is your responsibility to let them see that. What Christ has revealed to you actually works in transforming a life. People are more convinced by what they see in you than what they hear from you. Joshua received a vision of how God transformed the lives of those who came out of captivity. God showed Joshua that when he is involved... Praise God, there will be success. Look at this quotation, once again, in in Prophets and Kings, page 582. This is a short one, but it's amazing. It shows how when God is working, it caused Satan concern. The steady advancement made the builders of the temple made the, the steady advancement made by The builders of the temple greatly discomforted and alarmed the hosts of evil. What is that saying? If there is no advancements taking place in your life, the devil is not even concerned about you. He's only concerned about advancements being made. That's why every week that comes, the Lord grants us an opportunity to advance in our faith, to advance in our walk, to advance in the knowledge of His Word, to advance in the development of Christian character, to advance so that when the next trial comes, people can say, what is it about that man that I don't have? Now, I'm just going to use this as a point of reference. When I was in a hospital line in California once, I told this, st- You may have heard the story. If you heard the story, wave your hand. Great, keep your hands down. I was in a line in the hospital in San Francisco once, and I I walked up to the attendant, and I realized what I needed I didn't have. And she said, you got to go back to the fourth floor, and when you come back, just come straight to the front of the line. Don't wait. Well, I came back, and you know, that's easy to say, but when three women are in front of you, a guy walking past three women, I don't think that's going to be received with quietude. So I decided, well, there are three women women in front of me. Let me just stand here. My wife was already behind the counter, and she and another nurse was looking out at me, kind of like saying, come on. And the nurse said to my wife, "Is is your husband a Christian? I didn't say a word. But she says, most people will be upset that they have to go to the back of the line. But he's so patient. What am I saying? The evidences of the power of Christ working in us should be so evident that you don't care when the host of evil are alarmed. Look at Zechariah 3 and verse 1. That's why this passage is there. That's why this passage is there. This was the concern that Satan expressed. We read this in the opening scripture. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. The Lord is there. And Satan standing at his right hand to do what? To oppose him. What was he saying? What was he saying that opposed where Joshua was standing? He was pointing to Joshua's filthy garments. He was saying, this is who Joshua is. That's why when you are struggling with anything in your life, when there's something that is holding you in its grips... This is the time to try not to remedy it yourself, but turn your life over to the hand of the only one that can cleanse you from whatever is binding you. There's only one that can do that. Why was, doing the, why was the devil there? Why was he pointing out the false? Here's the reason why. Let's look at another quotation. And I told you we're going to look at brief ones. This is Prophets and Kings, page 582 again. Why was he pointing out the defects? Satan determined to put forth still further effort to do, look at this, to weaken and what else? Discourage God's people by holding, holding before them their imperfections of character. He said, if I could, if I could show Dan how flaky he is in some parts of his life, he won't even feel encouraged. If I could say to April, April, you know, you're you're, you're, you're a mess. I don't even know why you joined the church. She'll feel discouraged. How could you say that? You see, when we do the job that Satan has claimed as his own, let us, and I'm going to say this, and I want you to, I want you to write this down or record it or put it on a sticker on your mirror. Never join the devil in tearing down anyone else's character because that's his job. That's what he did. And he knew that by pointing out other people's faults and their weaknesses where they may be in their journey, he knew that if I could simply get them discouraged, I will have more power to weaken them then I will have to strengthen them. That's why I love the book of Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Look at this with me. Look at these words. The mission of Jesus. Look at the mission of Jesus. Hebrews 2, verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, that is Christ, likewise shared in the same. That through death, He might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. But not only that. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. There are people that are fearful of dying. but they're not not making any movement to free themselves. I'm going to say that again. There are those people fearful, and they don't want to be in the sin that they're in, but they're not making the move to free themselves. This is why Luke 19.10 is so beautiful to me. Instead of it saying that the sinner came to seek and to save the one who can save, it says the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Instead of of the shepherd saying to the sheep, you need to find your way back, the shepherd went after the sheep. Instead of leaving that one sheep all by itself and being content with the ninety and nine, he went out to look for that one who had been separated from the flock and did everything he can to redeem that lost sheep. That's why let's look at another quotation in this story. Prophets and Kings, page 586. Through the plan of what? Salvation. Jesus is breaking Satan's hold upon the human family and rescuing souls from his power. Hallelujah. Oh, you guys need some tea? Amen. I'll give you that. Somebody ought <laughs> to say amen. Through the plan of salvation, Jesus is... Br- today, today, as we're sitting here, there are people who, be, who, who are being broken from the power of the enemy and being rescued by the blood of Christ. Today, today. We've got to know that as we proclaim the gospel, we are not proclaiming the gospel to inform. We're proclaiming the gospel as, as the phrase that's used, the emancipation of Proclamation. Meaning by the blood of Jesus, you can be set free. Through the plan of salvation, Jesus is breaking hold. And I could see that. If you can put that in your mind's eye, you can see Satan arm wrestling with Christ and losing every time. And Jesus is saying, now give me that soul back. Rescuing souls from his Power. You see, it is Satan's power to destroy. It is Christ's power to save. And when we surrender to Christ, when we embrace that power that alone can save, the hole that Satan had on us is broken. And we are redeemed and made right by the blood of the Lamb. By the blood of the Lamb. Try to say that five, five times. We are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Look at another quote. This is beautiful. Page 585. Prophets and kings. Over every soul. Over how many? Over every soul that is rescued from the power of evil and whose name is registered in the Lamb's book of life, the controversy is repeated. You know what that means? Never is one received into the family of God without exciting the determination or the determined resistance of the enemy. That means when the Lord rescues someone, the devil says, I've got to come back after that person that he rescued. And the great controversy, Ellen White says, he doubles and triples his effort. He can't stand back and say, I lost. He's got to double and triple his efforts. Do you, do you, do you, do you ever feel that? Do you ever feel the tug of the devil to pull you back? Do you feel like you're climbing up the sliding board of salvation and if you stop climbing, you'll slide back down? That's the enemy trying to pull you. Never is one received into the family of God without exciting the determined resistance of the enemy. Meaning he's not just going to let you go. He's not just going to say, okay, go ahead. I'm done with you. No, any soul that is lost... Satan considers it a triumph over the cross of Christ. But I like what the Lord said to him in verse 2 of Zechariah 3. We read this in the beginning, but let's look at it again in the context of what we just said. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Meaning when he tries to reclaim that person that Jesus has rescued, the Lord rebukes the devil and says, stand back. And I can only say by the grace of God. You know, I look back at my track. I do, I do this frequently. I do this often. Sometimes when I'm driving and I'm not having to talk on the phone, there were days when driving in your car was the best time to be disconnected from anything. And then somebody created the cell phone. But sometimes I'm in my car listening to the Christian music, and I know that people that drive by must think that I'm talking to myself because. Sometimes I'm just going like that. Just turn the music up. Just fill my eyes with the joy of the Lord and just sing to the top of my voice. And sometimes I forget to turn the volume down. So when my wife got in the car once, it almost blew her head off. Turned the car and was like full volume. She said, what were you listening to? <laughs> oh, I was listening to the song, Every Praise is to Our God you got to sometimes fortify yourself with good Christian music so that it could take all the fluff and the news and the garbage of the world out. you got to so pour into your life those things that are of heavenly value so that there is less and less room in the inventory of your space for the world to come in. Sometimes after I sing a song and I put it on CNN or NBC or ABC, I just think, this is so fluff. And I go back to my Christian music. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And when you're feeling down, put on some good Christian music and the devil says, well, I got to go. Because only Christ inhabits the praises of his people. When you resist the devil in the name and the power of Jesus, the Bible says resist the devil and he what? Will flee from you. Why was he resisting Joshua so much? Here's another quotation. Prophets and Kings, page 583. He points to the transgressions of Israel as a reason why they should not be restored to the favor of God. He does that for us. He claims them as his prey and demands that they be given into his hands. Do you know how often this happens? Every day of the week. He goes from house to house, trying to reclaim you as his. He waits till we are comfortable in our Christian lazy boy recliner and think everything is just fine and something hits that rocks our world and we almost utter, God, why did you? And the devil says, that's right, blame him for it. That's why I, I don't hesitate when people say, why did God take my mother? I say, can I say something? God don't kill people. He's not an assassin. Come on, somebody, help me out. <laughs> God took my baby. God took my mother. God took my son. God took my husband. God don't take folk. Sin does it. Blame the devil for what he has done. But don't give God that, that bad rap. He doesn't kill people. God don't need angels. He's not assassinating babies to put angels in heaven. He's not snatching mothers because he needs another singer from a choir on earth. No. Oh, well, my uncle's in heaven playing baseball now. God doesn't have any baseball team in heaven. Can't stand when I see my family members posting that on Facebook. Oh, He's in heaven playing with the Yankees. Ain't no Yankees in heaven. But it's, you know, people believe foolishness. But what does the Lord do? And what he did for Joshua, he wants to do for every one of us. Here it is. Joshua 3, verse 3 and 4. Now Joshua, this is my story. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 3 and 4. Thank you. Now Joshua was clothed with what kind of garments? Filthy garments. And was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him saying, This is what the Lord did for me. Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you. And I will clothe you with rich robes. That's just one of those, you got to just chew that as a a peppermint of salvation. (laughs) you got to extract from it everything you can. I will clothe you with rich robes. You see, now do you understand why the Bible says you are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, God's own special people? He's called you out of darkness into this what? Marvelous light. Because he clothes us. But look at this quote. Just got a few more, then I'm done. Prophets and Kings, page 586. This is made Satan knows that those who ask God for pardon and grace will obtain it. Therefore, he presents their sins before them to discourage them. He knows that if they say, God, help me. Lord, forgive me. Lord, save me. He knows that God will Comply. But he says, how could you do that? Do you know what you've done? Do you know who you are? Why would you even ask him? Do you think he wants to talk to you? But I like when Ellen White pointed out that is when we feel the least worthy is when Christ wants us to come to him. That's why I love this, Ephesians 3, verse 20. What does the Bible say? Now, Ephesians 3, 20, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, Above all that we ask or think how, according to the power that what? Works in us. God is at work. Can the church say amen? So the devil may say he's not worthy, but God says, back up. When I'm done, I'll put him on display to show you that by my blood he has become worthy. And I like this. Prophets and Kings, page 587. I don't often do this, but this story was too good for me to overlook this. Here it is. Prophets and Kings, page 587. This is beautiful. This is grand. Satan has no power to pluck them out of the hand of the Savior. If that's all I read this morning, that is a hallelujah right there. Not one soul who in penitence, that's repentance, and faith has claimed his protection will Christ permit to pass under the enemy's power. When the Lord delivers you the devil can't snatch you back (laughs) when the Lord comes in the devil's got to back up isn't that wonderful so very quickly four things the Lord promises to do the first one He says, guard against thinking that you must restore yourself. Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 26. Here's the promise of God. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Can you say amen? Who's doing that? God is doing that. That's not us. We don't have the power, nor is it our responsibility to restore ourselves. It is our responsibility to put ourselves in the hand of the restoring savior and the work he began, he will complete. Secondly, abandon the notion that God rejects you. Here's what he promises. Isaiah 43 verse one, abandon the notion that he rejects you. Isaiah 43 verse one, but now thus says the Lord who created you. O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. Together, you are mine. The first song I wrote was entitled, You Are Mine. When God redeems us, he says, you are mine. Look at this quotation, Prophets and Kings, page 587. When he redeems you, he gives you secret service protection. Angels of God will walk on either side. You thought you had one angel? He may be on the left, he may be on the right, or he, he may be on both because the Bible says the angel of the Lord encampeth round about those that fear him. Angels of God will walk on either side of them even in this world and they will stand at last among the angels that surround the throne. Hallelujah. Tracy, one day you're going to stand where angels surround the throne. Praise God. Third thing, remember that Jesus refuses to leave you defenseless. Zechariah 3 and verse 5. Zechariah 3 and verse 5. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head. And they put the clothes on him, and the angel of the Lord stood by. He cleans us up, and he assigns us secret service protection. And finally, remember that through Christ, we are all fireproof. Through who, friends? Through Christ, Isaiah 43 and verse 2. This is my favorite passage in the book of Isaiah. We're almost done Isaiah now. We're in Isaiah chapter 48. Isaiah chapter 45 right now. We're starting 45. But look at Isaiah 43, verse 2. And I want you to read this with me. This is my one more scripture, and then I'm going to close. But here's one that's powerful. When you pass through the waters, what's the promise? I will be with you. And through the rivers, what's the promise? They shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, what is the promise? You shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Why? Because in Christ Jesus, said with me, we are what? Fire. Fireproof. Oh, brethren, we're going to stand on the ashes of those who refuse to embrace Christ because there will be fire to the left, fire to the right, but no fire on the saint of God. We will see the destruction of sin, but sin will not destroy us. When we are covered by the character of Christ, the second death will have no power on us. I'll take it from my book, the book of Revelation. A man by the name of John was given this text. Revelation 2 and verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the what? second death. What is that death? The lake of fire. Today, can I ask you a question? How many of you are glad that you are redeemed by the blood of the lamb? And how many of you today want to stand with me and say, I want to walk. No matter where the Lord leads me, I'm going to walk. And I know that wherever I go, by God's grace, if I stay in Him, I will always remain fireproof. Anybody wants to stand with me today and declare that I want to remain in Christ. By staying in Christ, I will remain fireproof. Not by any other means, only by the means of the righteousness of Christ Jesus. Loving Father in heaven, it is your righteousness that makes the difference. Thank you for the teachings that are true. Thank you for the fundamentals that are sound. Thank you for the understanding of prophecy that calibrates our thoughts and minds to the hour in which we live, the urgency before us. But thank you above all of that for your redeeming blood, for your grace, for your transforming power, for the power not only to deliver, to deliver, but to give us fire-retardant characters. That when the fires of the furnace of affliction is heated seven times we could step into it and not even the smell of smoke would be upon us you'll only burn the ropes that bound us but you'll set us free i pray that today father we can remember that yes only in christ in no other name in no other place in no other position can we claim the blessing of being fireproof so bless us lord guide us and strengthen us And may we declare that we've heard the joyful sound that Jesus saves, Jesus saves. It is in your holy and precious name I pray. Amen.